Hello, my name is Hana, and this is Parsha for Kids. The Parsha of the week is Kedoshim. Kedoshim means holy ones. In this context, it refers to God commanding the nation of Israel to be holy because God is holy. But what does it mean to be holy? Holiness typically refers to being separate. When something is holy, it's different from things that are regular or everyday. To be a holy nation means to live in a way that is different from the other nations around us, and specifically, in a way that is more like or closer to God. It was certainly important to be different from others when other nations were idol worshipers, and it is still important today. Even now, in 2023, our guiding values come from the Torah, not from whatever our modern society believes it is a good idea to do. There are several different approaches regarding how to live like a holy Jew. One approach, according to Rashi, is to be holy when it comes to our relationships. For example, as we learned last week, a person is not allowed to marry a woman and also her daughter, By making sure we treat the people we marry respectfully and making sure to follow the laws of the Torah, we are being holy. A second approach is brought down by the Ramban, or Nachmanides. This commentator explains that God does not only expect us not to sin, rather, God also expects us to impose limits on ourselves, also known as self-discipline. Here is an example. Have you ever been to someone's house and saw a candy platter on the table being served as dessert? Maybe you took five or 10 pieces of candy, but did you eat the whole platter? Probably not. But why? There wasn't a sign that said only one per person. The answer is that you understood that eating the whole platter would simply not be polite and that your host expected you to only eat a portion of the candy. They didn't expect one person to eat it all. Similarly, there are things that are permitted by Torah law. For example, adults are permitted to drink wine and we are permitted to enjoy good kosher meat. But if all we did all day was guzzle wine and devour meat, do you think that would be living a holy life? No. Kedusha has to do with making sure that we live a life that is focused on fulfilling God's will. And that means fulfilling God's desire for us when it comes to our relationship with him, ben adam lemakom, as well as our relationships with our fellow human beings, ben adam lechavero. We need to do what God asks of us, even when it is difficult, but also care for our fellow man, especially people who are poor or have ended up in difficult situations. Our Parsha will teach us about many mitzvot that we need to keep in order to be holy. One of the first mitzvot mentioned in this week's Parsha is the obligation to fear and honor one's mother and father. For some people, this mitzvah may be easy and obvious. After all, you wouldn't even exist if your parents had not given birth to you. And if you have a good life, then of course you would want to pay back your parents however you can for all the good things they have given you. For other people, this mitzvah might be more complicated. 
It's important to note that if a parent physically harms or hurts their child, this mitzvah might not apply. What does it mean to honor one's parents? Rashi gives examples. You are not allowed to sit in their special chair or at their special place at the head of the table. You may not interrupt or speak for your parents when they are talking. You may not contradict your parents. And there are certain situations that are specific to adults who are helping their parents. Adults must provide food and drink to their parents. They must provide clothing for their parents. And they must help their parents get dressed and put on their shoes if their parents are not able to do this on their own. The only time we are not supposed to listen to our parents is if they tell us to do something that is a sin. In that case, we need to listen to God's laws instead of what our parents tell us to do. So if your parent tells you to worship an idol, you would have to refuse. There are three mitzvot in this week's Parsha that focus on leaving part of the harvest for poor people, including the widow and the ger, which here means convert. The harvest refers to crops, which means items like grain or grapes or olives that are being grown in fields in the land of Israel. The harvest is the time when all of these items are collected. The mitzvot that are mentioned in this week's Parsha are called peya, leket, and shikha. In the time when Bnei Israel entered the land of Israel, they were an agricultural society. This means that unlike your parents, who might go to work as lawyers, doctors, or graphic designers, most people worked the land. There weren't electric machines in that time, so this work was challenging. A Jewish farmer had to prepare the field for planting, removing stones and weeds. They had to plow the field, which means overturning the earth to prepare it for planting, and yes, they did use animals to help them pull the heavy plow. The farmer would then plant their seeds and hope that those seeds would grow into grain, assuming that God sends the right amount of rain and there's enough sunshine. After working so hard, it would be understandable for a Jew to want to hold on to every piece of grain grown on his property. But God wants us to understand that what we have ultimately belongs to God, not to us. And that is why God gives us some commands regarding our fields. The mitzvah of leaving crops in a corner of your field and not taking them for yourself is called peah. You need to leave the corner of each field you own unharvested, which means you do not collect those crops for yourself. That way, poor Jews can come to that section and take grain so that they will not starve. This enables every single Jew to be joyful when the harvest comes because everyone will have food. It's important to note that your field must remain open to every poor Jew. You cannot limit it to only be for your Jewish poor family members, for example. Anyone who needs is free to come into your field and take. A second mitzvah that has to do with providing grain to the poor is called leket. Let's say that it's the time of the harvest. If, while you or your workers are collecting the harvest, one or two stalks of grain fall on the ground, you are not allowed to pick them up. You need to leave them for poor people to collect. If you drop three or more stalks of grain, though, you are allowed to pick them up for yourself. A third mitzvah is called shikha. 
After you've cut the grain, you and your workers will tie the grain together into bundles. You will put the bundles on your wagon and bring them into your barn. You might accidentally forget a bundle and leave it in the field. If this happens, you need to leave it there and not go back and get it. It now belongs to poor people. The same rules apply when it comes to owning a vineyard or olive grove in Eretz Yisrael. However, one does not need to leave a peah from one's vegetable garden. There is a famous story that many of you are familiar with that references these laws of peah, leket, and shikha. Do you know what it is? Yes, it is the story in Megillat Rut, which we read on Shavuot. When Ruth and Naomi come back to Israel, they were very poor. That is why Ruth went out gleaning in Boaz's field, which meant collecting the dropped stalks, leket, or other items that were permitted for the poor to take home. We learn some beautiful ideas from these mitzvot. They include, our fields and property belong to God, which is why we need to follow God's instructions for them. Even when we might feel like we worked very hard on planting the crops and deserve to keep all of them for ourselves, this is not really the case. The crops only grow if God says so, and God says that a portion of the crops are intended for poor people as well. A truly joyful harvest is one that includes everybody. In order to enjoy our harvest, we have to make sure others are not starving, which is why we make sure to include the poor as well. The Torah warns us to be very careful when it comes to money. There are several laws in this week's Parsha about making sure not to steal. If we did steal something, we should not deny it and lie about it. Instead, we should admit what we did, repay the item, and do teshuva, repent. We are also not allowed to take an oath swearing that we did not do something that we actually did. For example, someone might have asked us to hold on to their money. We are not allowed to swear that we don't have the money when we really do. It is also important to pay people on time. We have to pay people at the time we arrange to do so. This might mean paying them at the end of every day's work, but could also mean after each week, month, or after a job is finished, based on what the original agreement said. Delaying to pay someone at the arranged time is a sin. Sometimes people think that it's okay to do something mean as long as nobody catches you. The Torah makes very clear that this is not the case. The Torah explains that you are not allowed to put a stumbling block in front of a blind person, and you are also not allowed to curse a deaf person. Putting a stumbling block in front of a blind person might be something like moving a big rock or a large wooden crate in front of them and then waiting for them to trip and fall down because they can't see it. Cursing a deaf person is what it sounds like, Someone can't hear, so you say nasty things about them. It's not like they can catch you and punish you since they can't hear. God says that both of these things are wrong, even if the other person can't catch you or see what you've done. That's why the pasuk, or verse, that includes these ideas ends with the words, And you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. This means that even when nobody else can see what you are doing, or can catch you when you've done something wrong, God can. And it's important to remember that God is always watching, so make sure 
that you do not do things that he considers wrong. Our commentaries explain that these situations apply beyond the literal scenario of tripping a blind person. For example, placing a stumbling block before the blind can refer to giving someone bad advice. Maybe you own a company and you know it's not doing well. Your friend asks you whether they should invest money in your company. If you tell them yes, that's like placing a stumbling block before the blind. They are blind in this matter and you are giving them advice that is bad for them. This is forbidden and you are not allowed to do this. Our Parsha continues by explaining that we have a mitzvah to judge people fairly. Let's say a poor man and a rich man come before a judge. The rich man claims he lent the poor man money and the poor man did not repay him. A judge is not permitted to decide a poor person is automatically right just because the poor person needs the money or the judge feels sorry for them. Similarly, the judge is not allowed to decide the rich man is right just because the rich man has a lot of money and is very influential. Instead, the judge needs to look at the facts of the case and make the best decision they can based on the facts and laws. There is a second part of that pasuk that says, B'tzedek tishpot amisacha, in righteousness you should judge your fellow. The Midrash understands this to mean that we all have an obligation to judge our fellow Jews favorably. This is called dan lekaf zechus, or zechut. This means that when we see someone do something surprising, or that upsets us, we need to try to come up with good reasons as to why the other person did it. For instance, we might see someone enter a McDonald's, which in America is a non-kosher restaurant. Rather than assuming that person is eating non-kosher, we can instead assume that maybe they're getting a Coca-Cola from the restaurant, which is kosher or that they needed to use the bathroom at that place. Similarly, if you ask a friend to loan you a book and they say no, rather than thinking they are mean and ungenerous, you can assume that maybe they are afraid you might lose and damage it. Perhaps other people they have lent books to in the past did not return them in good condition. In that case, the issue is not about you personally, but based on the person's previous experiences. It is a good mida or character trait to learn to judge others favorably. One of the rewards for judging others favorably is that God will judge us favorably as well when we do things wrong. One important note, if someone is acting in a really wrong or cruel way, judging favorably is not the solution. If someone is doing something that is dangerous to you, to others, or to themselves, always make sure to tell a trusted adult so they can help you handle the situation. The Pasuk, Lo teilech rachil ba'amecha, lo tamod al damriecha, ani Adonai, teaches us that we are not supposed to spread stories and gossip about other people. Being a rachil means being a tale-bearer, someone who tells stories about other people. You should not speak Lashon Hara about people in general, and you should also not tell one person what someone else said about them that was mean. The second part of the Pasuk, Lota Modal Dam Reecha, means you are not allowed to stand by when someone else is in trouble. In school, you may have learned this concept when you were taught to be an upstander 
rather than a bystander. God forbid, let's say you walked by a river and noticed that someone was stuck within it and struggling to swim. Would you just stand by and watch them drown? Of course not. If you're a good swimmer, maybe you would jump in and save them. At the very least, you or your parent would call emergency services in America, that's 911, and alert the police and fire department to come save the person. What we learn from this Pasuk is that even if we did not cause the situation the person finds themselves in and did not cause their distress, we are still responsible to help save their life. Every single person is a world and every single life is precious. We need to make sure not to let a world be extinguished. We learn in this week's Parsha how to give tochacha, rebuke. One is only allowed to give tochacha to a person who is on the same level as him and in a situation where it will be effective. So for example, if you are at your friend's house on Shabbat and you see that they are turning on the lights, the first thing you need to consider is whether they are observant like you. If they are, then they must not know that this action is forbidden by Torah law. In that case, you can talk to them privately, not in front of other people, and let them know that actually it's forbidden to turn the lights on during Shabbat. You must give tochacha with love and not with hatred in your heart. We only give tochacha to people who we think might actually listen. This is why it does not make sense to go up to someone driving on Shabbat, which is also forbidden, and start yelling at them that driving on Shabbat is not allowed. That would only embarrass the person, which would make them not likely to listen to you, and you also don't have any kind of friendship or relationship with them, so it doesn't make sense for you to rebuke them. From here we learn that whenever we correct another person, we must try to do it in the most sensitive and loving way possible, and only when we think the other person is open to learning and growing rather than feeling resentful and angry. We learn in this week's Parsha that we are not allowed to take revenge, nekama, or bear a grudge, lo titor. Nekama looks like this. Imagine two children, Dahlia and Golda, are friends. Dahlia refuses to lend Golda her ball. The next day, Golda asks to play with Dahlia's ball. Dahlia says no, because Golda didn't lend her hers. That is Nakama taking revenge. In contrast, Lotitor refers to holding a grudge. In this situation, Dahlia refuses to lend Golda her ball. The next day, when Golda asks to play with Dahlia's ball, Dahlia says, I really shouldn't give it to you because you didn't let me play with yours, but I'll be nicer than you were. This is called bearing a grudge, hanging on to and bringing up the mean thing someone did to you. It's better to tell someone when you are upset with them during the time that it happens. Give them a chance to apologize and then move on. If they don't apologize, you can still try to move on. After both of these commandments, we encounter a famous pasuk, V'yahavta l'reacha kamocha, love your fellow Jew like yourself. What does it mean to love somebody the way you love yourself? It means to care and worry about them, the same way we care and worry about ourselves. Some practical ways to do this would include being concerned about your friend's belongings, just like you would care about your own. 
just because it's someone else's water bottle or book doesn't mean you should be okay with it if you see it rolling around under a desk or getting lost. Instead, you should pick it up. Treat your friends like you would like them to treat you. Help people when you can, just like you would like them to help you. Make sure to be down the kafzuchut, judging other people favorably, just as you might like to be judged. If your friend is sick or not in a good mood, make an effort to cheer them up, just like you would like to be cheered up. This is an extremely important mitzvah. When we treat others the way we would want to be treated, that increases kindness, positivity, and love in the world, all of which are very valuable. During the time when the Torah was given, there were people who performed dark magic called the magic of Ovan Yidoni. This magic involved talking to the dead in order to find out the future. God forbids us to use this magic ourselves or to consult practitioners who use this kind of magic. There is a debate as to whether or not this magic was real. If it was not real, then the reason God did not want us to pursue it was because it was a lie, sheker, just like idol worship of Odazara is also sheker. If it was real, however, then the reason God did not want us to use it is because this was not the right way for us to access information about our lives. God had given us a way to connect to him during that time period. That was to consult with the Kohen Gadol who wore the Choshen Mishpat or breastplate. The Choshen contained a special scroll called the Urim Vitumim. The Kohen Gadol would be able to ask a question and then certain letters on the Choshen would light up in order to convey the answer. The Kohen Gadol would then interpret the letters to let B'nai Yisrael know what God's answer was. Additionally, God gave us Nevi'im, prophets, who could help connect B'nai Yisrael to God, and vice versa. The ways God gave us to connect with him tapped into pure mechanisms, while the dark magic used forces that were evil and tameh, impure. According to the opinion that the magic of Ovenidoni was real, God did not want us to use those tummy forces to learn about our futures. We are taught in this week's Parsha to honor elderly Jews, which means people who are 70 years old or older. God commanded that when we see someone of that age, we should show them honor by standing up for them and behaving properly towards them. Even if this aged Jewish person is not a particularly learned Torah scholar or Talmud Chacham, we still need to show them honor. God has allowed this person to live a long time, which means they have had many life experiences and have seen God's way of being in the world. For this alone, we should recognize they have much to teach us. Something that God cares about a lot is that we do not cheat in business. It may be easy to prioritize making money over being honest and ethical, but God hates it when people lie and similarly when people cheat. Therefore, God teaches in this week's Parsha that a businessman must make sure that his weights and measurements are accurate. An old-fashioned scale would have two bowls. In one bowl, the merchant would put pieces of wood or metal that would add up to a certain amount, for example, to use a modern-day number, one pound. Then, on the other side of the scale, 
the merchant would weigh out one pound of whatever they were selling, like vegetables or flour. If the merchant wanted to cheat, they could create weights that they said weighed one pound, but that really weighed a half a pound. This meant the person would end up paying the price for one pound, but would receive only a half a pound of vegetables. God says that using false scales or measuring devices is one of the worst sins in the entire Torah. It is absolutely forbidden to cheat one's fellow man. So here's what we learned this week. We have a special obligation as Jews to live in a way that makes us kadosh or holy. Holy means that we live in a way that is different from other nations and is based on God's commands, making us closer to God. Some of the ways we can be kadosh include honoring our parents, making sure the poor are cared for by leaving over some of the harvest for them, being careful to pay people on time, not giving people bad advice that they don't know is bad advice, and judging others favorably. God especially hates it when people lie or cheat others in business, such as when merchants have false weights and measurements. This is considered one of the worst sins in the Torah. If you have any questions or comments on this week's episode, please email me at parsha 4 at gmail.com. That's Parsha, the number four, kids at gmail.com. Good Shabbos.